strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. It is election season. It is upon us. The presidential preference election is right around the corner. As a matter of fact, early voting has already started to lay out the dates and the timeline and the things that you need to know. Joining us right now is the Maricopa County Recorder, Stephen Richer. Stephen, welcome back. Thank you very much. It's not only election season, but it's election year. We'll be doing this all year. And I wonder if you're going to be smiling like you are now in November. <laughs> I don't know. I'll probably be tired by then. Yeah, but I imagine. Hey, let's start strong. Um, one, of, uh, one of the things, let's start with the early voting. Obviously, ballots are already out there. But on the presidential preference election, who can vote? If you're going to vote in person, if you didn't get an early ballot, when and where and who? Yep. So for the presidential preference election, you have to be a registered Republican or a registered Democrat. Independents can't participate in this. Green Party can't participate. Libertarian, no labeled party can't participate. Only R's and D's. And if you're an R or D with on the active early voting list, then you should have received a ballot by mail around this time. We mailed out last week about 1.2 million mail ballots to those registered R's and D's on the active early voting list. So let's talk about what what may be confusing to some. Let's go with the Republican ballot for a moment. How many names are going to be on there? Many of the candidates have dropped out of the race. We don't even know if Nikki Haley is going to be on there uh, by the time it happens. How many names will be on the ra- on the ballot for the Republican presidential preference? There are nine, and that is a frustration. And the reason for that is because unless a candidate officially withdraws by a certain date, which has already elapsed, then that person will be on the ballot. And so a lot of people will suspend their campaign but not file the official withdrawal paperwork. And so, yes, it is possible to vote for somebody, and it will be tabulated, but that will go towards a person who's not even running anymore. So, for instance, I've even seen some people who are such diehard Ron DeSantis fans that even though he's not running anymore, they're still marking his oval. So then let's move forward to the primary, which, of course, independents are able to vote in the primary. Can you explain that process for people that are party non-declared if they want to choose? And what are the dates as far as early ballots, registration and what date that is? Because I know the date for the primary is moved. That's right. So the primary is now July 30th. That's the last day to vote. And for that one, as you said, you can be an independent and participate. You just have to let us know whether you want a Republican ballot or you want a Democratic ballot. To vote in that, you just have to be registered as either a Republican, Democrat, or independent 29 days before the election, so the very beginning of July, and then ballots will go out at the beginning of July, 27 days before before that July 30th election date. So when people go, if someone shows up at the polls and they're an independent voter, at the polls, do they ask for which ballot they prefer? That's right. So for right now, for this March presidential preference election, we would say, unfortunately, you can't participate as an independent. For the July 30th primary, where we're voting on stuff like the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate or your Democratic nominee for state legislature, if you're an independent who shows up at a voting location, we would say, which ballot do you want, Republican or Democratic ballot? And it gets printed off the appropriate style for you, depending on where you live. You mark it and you fill it out and you turn it in right there. All right. So before I want to before we close it out, I'm going to ask you how people can register to vote and where and how they can check on their voter status. But I want to go down a different road for a minute with you. Can you talk about what your role is in this process? Because there's some confusion as to what the county recorder does as it pertains to an election. What is your role in the Maricopa County elections? Yeah. 
That's completely understandable. So I am responsible for voter registration and for early voting. So if you vote by mail, that comes through my office. When you register or change your voter registration, my office is responsible for that. And then I partner with the Board of Supervisors who oversees the in-person voting component and the tabulation component. And elections are administered at the county level. So in Arizona, we have 15 counties. And so I partner with the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, but it's a similar setup in the other 14 counties counties. The reason why I ask is I know there's been a lot of controversy, especially with what happened in the last election cycle. And and it's odd because in uh, just my opinion, we've got the attorney general's race, we've got the sheriff's race, we've got the county recorder, which are all partisan offices because of the way we do elections. But the job itself should not be a partisan job. How do you deal with that part of it? Because you're on the ballot. It is a tension, and it's a curious creature of Arizona history. It's not like that way in all states. In fact, in most places outside the United States, election administrators or prosecutors aren't elected positions, and it does create some tensions. Some people would say, hey, it it puts more information on the table. What we do is we make sure that the process is transparent, we make sure that the process is open to all parties, and we make sure that the process is lawful. So even though that I'm a registered Republican and I ran as a Republican in the 2020 election and I'll be running as a Republican in the 24 election, hopefully with those things in place, everyone feels like they get a fair shake at the ballot box. And to be fair, um, when you won the election to win the office, you ran against who was a registered Democrat, and he actually lost the election that year as the county recorder. So it's not as if you're swaying the election or anybody in that office is able to swear it, sway it because you're you are not dealing with tabulation. Correct. And also, this isn't an office that exercises discretion. This isn't like a judge. You're feeding ballots through a tabulation machine, which is just scanning those bubbles. And so no matter how strongly I feel about one candidate or another, the machines are going to read the bubbles the way you mark the bubbles. And so, yes, I ran against uh, Adrian Fontes in 2020 and Adrian ran against Helen Purcell in 2016. And so clearly uh, if you're in the office is not dispositive if, if you're going to win re-election. So let's talk about registration. So for the people out there that are not registered, what is the best way and easiest way for them to register to vote? And if you are a registered voter and you've moved or any of the other things that could happen, how do they check the status of their registration? Great question. Just go to servicearizona.com. That's through the Arizona Motor Vehicle Division. There's a voting portal, a registration portal, and then it sends the information to the appropriate county. It's pretty easy. If you want to check your voter registration information and you're a registered voter in Maricopa County, you can just go to beballotready.vote. That's beballotready.vote. That's the individual voter dashboard that we've built for all Maricopa County voters. And so you can go online, you can sign up for ballot tracking. You can see all your information. You can see all the election dates and hopefully lots of stuff to make you feel like you're in complete control of the voting process. And I guess I should have asked this at the beginning of the questioning. If someone, because we've seen so many people do this, if somebody wants to change their party affiliation from one party to another or to party non-declared or independent, which of those websites do they do that at? Go go to servicearizona.com, fill out a new party registration, select your new party, and then it'll be reflected at that other 
at that other website, but we'll send you a new voter registration card with your new party reflected. Now, you can't do that right now, for instance, if you want to vote in the Republican presidential preference election. That closed out already 29 days before. But if you want to change your party affiliation in time for the July 30th primary election, statewide primary, that's certainly something that you can do right now or in the next few months. Well, Stephen, I always appreciate the time with you. The information is very, very valuable to voters. And uh, I hope you'll come back as the year progresses and we get into this election year a lot deeper because I know we're going to have a lot more questions. Absolutely. We've already received back a few hundred ballots. Was one of those yours, Mike? No, I, I, I go to the polls. I'm one of those guys. You're an I, in-person voter. I, That's an, right. I love that. I love going to the polls. I still like to do that stand in line. And I usually go to one of the early where I can vote early, but in person because on Election Day, we're so busy here at the radio station. But I like to get in line and, and vote in person. All right. Very good. Well, stay away from those allergens and the antihistamines because <laughs> I understand you're allergic to both. And, uh, but otherwise, happy election season. Thanks a lot, Stephen. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Mike. All right. That's Stephen Rich of the Maricopa County Recorder coming up in a moment. When will the Supreme Court make a decision regarding, regarding the First Amendment? And there are a lot more questions about your freedom of speech. We'll get to that coming up here in just one moment. see me in this room again if I could sing like this. I would give up 10 years of my life, honestly, if I could sing like this for one year. I'm not kidding. Um, anyway, thanks for being here. We're playing the Barry White because my voice is so horrible because of my allergies. So I apologize in advance if you hear me sniffling on the air, but my allergies are bad news. The Supreme Court is taking up a First Amendment case in which people are challenging Florida, Texas, are challenging social media platforms' ability to push down one uh, political speech versus another. Um, and what it what it does is it hammers or it, it brings together the question of what you're allowed to say, but also where you're allowed to say it. I am someone that believes in free speech. But I also believe in a business's right to run their business the way they want. I think you have a right to refuse service to anyone for any reason. It doesn't matter. Um, so this is where the worlds collide in this topic. And I am not a legal mind. Uh, I'm not a, certainly not a lawyer. And I'm certainly not qualified to talk about the legalities. I talk in what I believe are common sense terms, which is where we still disagree on things. Um if there are platforms out there, and there are, that we know that push down political speech, it's one of the things that happened with the Hunter Biden laptop issue. Meta or Facebook admitted that they listened to the advice of the FBI that this might be uh, Russian disinformation or misinformation, so they didn't allow those things on their platform. So they say that that's a First Amendment issue. Now, I don't know if that is or it isn't, but I'm going to give you a couple of other examples of us to talk about that I believe are First Amendment issues. Uh, four comedians were canceled from a Seattle comedy club after complaints from local progressives, according to this report. And I don't need to get into which comedians they are, but they were stand-up comedians. And this uh, comedy house, this comedy club, canceled these four 
comedians and then told people, if you bought tickets in advance, we'll give you your money back. Is that a violation of free speech? Because it runs down the same lines, whether it's Facebook in an online platform or it's a comedy club that says we don't want liberals are angry and we've got a neighborhood full of liberals, so we're not going to do this. And it could be the other way around, I guess. Is that a violation of free speech? I would sub- I would submit to you that it is not. I think it's ridiculous. I will tell you that when it comes to the First Amendment, of all places, I believe it's stand-up comedy that's going to save the First Amendment. I really do. You look at the, the people that are on the edge of what they talk about, the, the grief that Dave Chappelle has taken from the trans community. What's fascinating is if you watch his specials, He is intelligently brutal to everyone. I mean everyone. But then when he gets to that group, that group rises up and says, you can't talk about us like that. And there's a conversation about canceling him. No one is saying he is he is brutal and hysterically funny when he talks about other groups. That seems to be the one that's off limits. And I think that's why it's going to save the First Amendment, that just because that offends you doesn't mean that the other stuff wasn't offensive to somebody else. Why is your feelings Or are your feelings more important than someone else who might be offended by a joke? You look at Louis C.K., you look at some of the people that I just think are brilliant comedians and how they are brilliant. Ricky Gervais, to me, is one of the funniest people on the planet, but he is also brutally... Honest is a word, but his his perceptions, what he perceives and what he talks about is brutal sometimes. But it's what makes it funny when someone can make you laugh at things that you think I shouldn't be laughing at this, but that was really funny. I think it's a I think there's brilliance there again. But I have a sense of humor. I was brought up with a sense of humor from a very, very young age. My grandfather, my mother's father, my grandfather, Frank, uh, who is absolutely my hero as a little boy, still is now to this day, is the male role model and hero in my life, was brutally funny about things. And, and we he used to hold court at family funerals. I remember that in the basement of Rabicki and Sons Funeral Home in Ohio, Northeast Ohio, when I was a little boy, the coffee room was downstairs in the basement and everybody was upstairs mourning the loss of someone. And my grandfather would be telling jokes and talking and laughing downstairs. They would have to come down and tell my grandfather, hey, you have to knock it off. People are upset. They're up there crying and they can hear you laughing. And he would get upset and say, come on, you know, and he wanted people to laugh at his funeral. I say that because I grew up, our defense mechanism in our family, even in the loss of my brother Tom, as morbid as that would sound to some people, there were moments where we as a family laughed at things, and it was the only way to break the tension and break the sadness for a few moments. I don't expect your sense of humor to match my sense of humor, but stopping someone, the the reason for the First Amendment is so people can speak freely. That doesn't mean that a comedy club has to host you. This is where I think the Supreme Court has got to deal with this. Just because you can say it doesn't mean that Facebook has to let you say it there. Unless, of course, how about this? Here's another headline. Hulu rejects Texas church's ad citing violation of religious indoctrination policies. And some say it's fundamentally unfair. Now, if you are going to, if let, let's say if we were to say here, We were only going to take political advertising from one group of people, whether it's one party or whatever else. Um, We can't do that. We have to say if you're going to open it up to Republicans, you got to open up to Democrats and independents, you know, whatever it is, whatever your limitations is for one, it's got to be limitations for all. Whatever's open to one has to be open to all in that regard. 
So if Hulu says we're not going to take religious advertising, can an advertiser say there's nothing in violation of the law? Um, I should be able to advertise like everyone else. Can they reject? These are those nuances when it comes to the conversation about um, about free speech. You have a right to say things. Are there limits on where? That's a great question. And I'm anxious to see how the Supreme Court rules on this one, but how common sense prevails with other people as well. In a moment, we're going to shift to school choice because is school choice costing the taxpayers too much money? There's a USA op-ed that says the GOP agenda is to loot public schools for private vouchers. We'll discuss that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Anthony works in the grocery store, saving his pennies for Sunday. So let's talk about education for a moment. There are things that get very political and they are politically divided based on political ideology, but education shouldn't be one of them, but it's turned into that. So this is an interesting national op-ed story in the USA Today. It was written by Governor Roy Cooper and Governor Adam Bashir, and they're the opinion contributors, North Carolina and Kentucky. And here's the headline. Welcome to the GOP's new education agenda. Loot our public schools for private vouchers. So let's start there. Welcome to the GOP's new education agenda. Well, I will tell you that everything is cause and effect in my mind. There are people that do things that it's trying to fix, you know, the old things of it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, there are people that try to do that. But in this case, there aren't many people in America that believe our education, education system is performing well. There are pockets of performance and there are some people that are performing. But nationally speaking, it doesn't matter how much money you're spending in the classroom. You go to the Baltimore School District, go look in the inner city in Chicago, you look at some of the major school districts where they spend a lot more money than we spend in Arizona, and you will find schools where no one, no one has passed a math or a reading exam. And it's happened in pockets as well. We are well above, well under grade level. The United States is lagging behind other industrialized countries where we have fallen behind with learning loss because of the pandemic. When you go back to 2018, we are well below where we were at 2018 levels. And even then we weren't where we needed to be. And other nations have gained since 2018 in spite of learning loss in COVID-19. We are endangering ourselves. I believe it's becoming a national security issue with people that we are not turning out children, especially from elementary school. Now, we look at high school, but by the time they get to high school, if they're not prepared to learn at a high school level, we're setting them up to fail to begin with. So the print, the premise of this article is about um, with the GOP's agenda. Well, let's then, if the GOP's agenda is this change, then it must be the other side of the aisle's agenda for what we have now. So if you're going to go down political lines, if we're going to argue with each other strictly down political lines, and we're going to talk about who's to blame. How is the GOP to blame for what's happening? Well, you won't fund schools. We just went over funding. The reason why I bring this topic up, and I think it's a very important topic, is more and more people are aware it was one of the, I would say, one of the only silver linings of the very dark cloud of COVID-19. When we shut down schools and kids were learning from home on laptop computers and parents were working from home because 
They couldn't go into the office. And parents began to see not only what their children were learning, but how they were learning and what teachers were doing that was off subject matter. Not all teachers, not even most teachers. But when they saw the curriculum, when they saw political opinions being driven toward their children, parents started an outcry and they started saying to school boards, A, number one, open the schools. We've got to stop with the school closures. By the way, they were right. Well, let's let's take a hard look at that. I don't want to get into another fight with the organ- teacher organizations in Arizona, AEA and AEU, but their protests and their candlelight vigils and bullhorns and videos and we're going to kill teachers and teachers are going to die. All of those things that they said they were wrong and they know they were wrong. And you can tell that by their silence now. This is a group of people that have no problem being vocal. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the Red for Red movement, you were 77,000 thousand people strong down at the Capitol. They have no problem speaking out when they believe they're right. They were wrong about school closures. Uh, certainly the length of time that schools were closed. It was it was terrible for learning. It was terrible for children. And the risks were not nearly the lowest number of infection rates have been with young people, serious illness. You look at all of it. Young people were not the ones at risk. It was older people. My point is I don't care about that anymore. More. Let's move on that that was the wrong thing to do to close schools. So in at risk of picking a fight with them again, here we are after America watched what happened and said, open the schools. And what happened? The National School Board Association called any parent going to school board meetings and demanding answers. Now, these are the parents that pay the salaries of the school boards and whose children attend those schools that were asking for answers. They were called domestic terrorists. They did not get any satisfaction. They didn't get any satisfactory answers. And as a matter of fact, they were told to sit down and shut up. It was requested that the FBI go and seek them out. If you don't know the story, in Scottsdale, the Scottsdale Unified School District's former board president, his dad was doxing parents. In other words, he was seeking out divorces and court cases and bankruptcies and social media posts and anything negative he could find about a parent that would question what the school board would doing. That actually happened. So parents had a right to start asking questions. The, I bring this to a, to a point to say the reason why in Arizona, charter schools and micro schools and homeschooling and the ESA program known as the voucher program are immensely popular are because parents are dissatisfied with the performance of the public schools. Now, that's not all parents. The public school system still remains where most parents send their children. And in an ideal situation, parents want their children in a school in their neighborhood. I've mentioned this analogy, and it works for me, and it works for you. I grew up in a neighborhood Um, It was called the Villas. We all went to the same. My friends went to the same elementary school. I moved there one year. I moved there in sixth grades. But we all went to the same middle school. We rode the same buses, the same bus driver from middle school, end of the high school. And we rode the bus to high school. We went to the dances. We went to the proms. We went to homecoming. We went to the football games. We went to all of those things together. We share memories to this day. That will in 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 uh, I'm coming up on my uh, my on my. Uh, 40th anniversary, my 40th high school reunion will be coming up in a year or so. 
And I will tell you that I'm still friends today with those people. That's the ideal situation. Summer vacation, spring break, in the neighborhoods, on the weekends, playing football, friendships. Then you go to school together. So parents have a reason for sending their children somewhere else. This idea that somehow this GOP agenda is to ruin schools, it is just a ridiculous thing to say. What it does is it further divides, fair enough, but we're used to that. But what it also does is it moves us further away from why are people doing it? If the public school system was performing and children were reading at grade level and parents had a great line of communication with the school boards and the teachers and they didn't feel like they were being told to sit down and shut up, they wouldn't be looking for other options, period. That's just a true statement. Parents don't want the inconvenience of driving their kids somewhere else. They would rather have them in a neighborhood school. All of those things are true. There's a reason why kids are being sent to other schools. And the public school system is starting to acknowledge it, whether they want to say it out loud or they don't. You look now at public school systems and what they're saying about how they're teaching and performance and test grades and and curriculum. This is exactly what it was designed for, and it's working. Coming up in a moment, could there be a ceasefire for Ramadan in Gaza? We'll talk about that coming up here in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, as you know, we've been talking about and covering what's happening in Israel, between Israel and Hamas in Gaza very closely. And there is the possibility the Israelis have said that if there is a hostage deal that is in place, that they would cease fire during the holy time of Ramadan. So uh, I want you to hear this is a Karen Travers uh, ABC report on this timeline. President Biden told reporters Monday evening he hopes there will be a ceasefire in Gaza within a week. My hope is by next Monday we'll have a ceasefire. There is no official comment from the Israeli Prime Minister's office about the president's timeline, but a senior Israeli source tells ABC News that Prime Minister Netanyahu was surprised by the president's comments that a deal is within reach. No official comment from Hamas either, but an official tells Reuters there are still big gaps that need to be bridged. There are a couple of things I want to get to. There's some local stuff here in a moment I'm going to get to. ASU in a minute on this. Uh, but here's a headline. Israeli plan for Rafa civilians unclear to U.S. Hostage deal advances. Um, what are the Israeli plans for Rafa civilians? The Rafa civilians are Palestinians. You know, we are hearing from Arab nations that are very upset. Egypt said they may end their peace accord with Israel. Um, we also know, just to give you the scope of what's happening, uh, starting with the Houthis in the Red Sea, they have um, they have intentionally damaged underwater uh, internet lines so in sabotage they, they with people that have nothing to do with this war but it's just another act of war in which they are doing um uh, a leader of Hezbollah was taken out by the Israelis recently because as Hezbollah from the north uh continues their attacks in Israel and a part of this war the concern for all out war between Israel and uh Hezbollah as opposed in addition to what's going on with Hamas and others is something they're trying to avoid that's just a little bit of a picture of what's happened. We know that the Iranian-backed militia groups have backed off their attacks on American assets since America has been sending a message that it won't be tolerated with some of the bombings and the things that we have done. 
But this idea of civilians in Rafah, there are Arab nations in the region. I, I encourage you to do this. I don't expect anybody just to believe what I have to say, but do your own homework. Go and look at a map of the region. Look at the Arab nations or that surround Israel or all around Israel. You look at Egypt especially. You look at Egypt and how they could immediately open their gates at their northern border, the southern border of Gaza, and allow those civilians from inside Rafah in Gaza, allow the civilians safe refuge and give them a refugee camp in Egypt. They won't do it. They are afraid that they will not be allowed to be returned to Gaza, which I think is silly. But at the same time, can you imagine being told you may never be able to go back? Let's give you an example. Here in our country, we have taken refugees from Afghanistan, may never go back. Somali refugees, never going to go back. Other nations. The mindset that says to Israel, you have to be careful of civilians, which they are, but you have to be more careful. They are your responsibility, even though they're being used by Hamas as human shields. Even though we know that that has happened and is happening, even though we've known the brutality of what they did on October 7th, the brutality of what continues to happen to hostages, even though those things are true, it's your responsibility, but we're not going to help. None of those Arab nations have opened their borders to Palestinian refugees. Why is that not the center of attention? Why are people not talking about that? A group... um, at ASU, Mecha de ASU is an organization, a political student organization, was given a suspension last week over a post on immigrant on Instagram calling for the deaths of certain groups. Two videos of police body camera footage are posted on Instagram with a caption that says, death to Boer, death to Pilgrim, death to Zion, death to the Zionists. Death to the settler. The caption also includes comments refusing to condemn Hamas or other events that have occurred recently in Gaza. The post remains up on Instagram with trigger warnings attached. Student organizations are subject to student code of conduct. They have been temporarily suspended. Why are they thrown off campus? Uh, If you look at what's happened in the fraternity world where fraternities have behaved badly with drinking and other things, they've shut them down. They've taken their charters away. How is this organization, if I'm not saying you don't have a right to free speech, I think you do. But if the rules on college campuses have been so much that when you misbehave, they throw you out and get rid of your charter. How does this kind of insanity exist? Imagine if this was... Um, some right wing group of people calling for the death of a race of people or races of people. Um, there was a Muslim organization on campus, a, a Muslim group of students who um, Muslim Student Association sends a letter of criticism to President Crow um, in this letter saying we are a Muslim student association. We w- When we and our members enrolled at ASU, we did so with the expectation that our religion, heritages, and races would be treated with inclusivity and mutual respect. Well, I would say, isn't it interesting that this is, in my opinion, gaslighting to a certain degree? And I don't believe all Muslim students on campus feel this way. But the treatment of Jewish students on campus is what's been reprehensible. You look at what happened at that student government meeting where students had to be escorted out of a meeting by campus police. There's still an ongoing investigation into that. There has been reports of Jewish students on campus wearing um, clothing that said they were proud to be Jewish and they've been assaulted. And if not physically assaulted, they've been berated with words. And yet this is the kind of thing that continues. It's exasperating. Just after 10 o'clock, 
who is the Michigan primary election more important for? Because voters in Michigan are going to vote in their primary. Does it even matter at this point? We'll talk about that next.